Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. you to give him a great big uh, Bay Life Church welcome. Grab, jump your feet. Let's put your hands together for Lottie as he comes this morning. Thanks, mate. How you doing? Good. Oh, I also forgot. I also forgot. He actually is our district leader. Now, he's, he's executive pastor at Macquarie, which is probably the largest church in Newcastle, I think. Um, but he actually is our executive leader. It's very unusual for him. Um, sorry, he's our Hunter District leader, and he's also the executive pastor at Macquarie. So he's not even the lead, like senior pastor, but he's got great authority upon his life. And so I am under him in terms of the district as well, which is great. Okay? So <laughs> thanks, Lottie. <Ta. laughs> thanks, Greg. Mm. You can take a seat. Well, how are we this morning? Good. Fantastic to be here with you. I'm going to take these off because I can see. I oh know I can't see you. I thought I could see without them. I hate that. Age is fun, isn't it? Said no one ever. Hey, um, it's great to be here. Um, just reflecting back, as Greg says that, um, 16 years ago I walked into Macquarie, and um, 18-year-old moved down from Coffs Harbour to do a business degree at Newcastle University and um, started going to the church in Cardiff there and um, just started volunteering and helping out and then became the youth pastor. Actually, the year I became the youth pastor, Tristan, you were in year seven. <laughs> Memories. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too. Let's just get that out of the way. Inexperienced youth pastor. But that was oh, a long time ago now. And um, just been on staff at the church just serving out, done a different number of roles, and um, it's just great to be involved in, even though I probably haven't been up here for a while, last time I was here, I was in there for a youth night, and we were out here for like blow-up games and skate, we, we, we lost the youth hall, what's going on? <laughs> we're back in here, that's good. But it, being a part of um, you guys, through the connection of, of Greg and Robin leaving Macquarie and coming up here, we always hear reports of how the church is going and um, hear about the building programs and the things that are happening at youth and missions teams. So even though I haven't been here for a little while, I, I do feel a big part of, of what God is doing here. Greg and Robin actually did um, our pre-marriage counselling. So I've got a few issues I want to bring up later that <laughs> you didn't address properly. <laughs> sorry, there's a lot of sorry going on to get things out of the way. But um, it's great to have Lozzie here with me this morning and our kids. We've got um, Lucy, who is seven, going on 17. We've got Judah, who is five, and Sonny, our youngest, who is three. And they're all, all champion. It's great to be up here with you this morning. Our senior pastor, Mark Sayre, sends his greetings. He's just returned back from New Zealand and um, he just wants to say good day to you guys. So that's, he'll be up here at some stage, I'm sure. And um, anyway, this morning we're going to look at a, a message that... Um, is in, found in Genesis chapter 26. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible of um, a man, and he's a nomad. Who knows what a nomad is? Not the motorbike kind, the, um, the other kind. A nomad moves around a lot. And as I looked at this story, I realized that it, it relates a lot to me. Um, 
I counted up this week that I've lived in 17 different houses in my 34 years of living. And um, I was born in India, Mumbai, India. I know, you can tell by the colour of my skin. Very nice to meet you. In India, we were missionaries, my mum and dad, and so for the first nine years of my life, we moved around to different places within India. So we were never in one place for long. Then as a family, we moved to Newcastle. We were there for about two years. Then I moved to Coffs Harbour with my family, and that's where I went through high school. Then I moved back to Newcastle for university. And I counted up this week that I can remember 17 different places. That's without even asking mum about the number of places that we lived in in India. That was just what I could remember. So I've never been in one place for very long. Of two years ago, we sold our house, and that was the longest I'd ever been in the one spot as far as living. So I can relate to this guy, Isaac, in this story. And we're going to read it. It's in Genesis chapter 26. And before we go there, let's just pray. God, we pray this morning that as we open your word, we pray that it would speak to each and every one of us, that all of us today would get something fresh and new from you. God, I pray it wouldn't be my words this morning, but it'd be your words speaking. We open our hearts, we open our spirit, we open our lives, Lord, to you today, for you to do what only you can do. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 26, up on the screen if you haven't got it there. Verse 1, a severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved over to, I'm going to call it Gerar, or Gerar, you can call it whatever you like, where Ablimamech, I'm hopeless with names, king of the Philistines lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give all these lands and all through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and situations. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. First six verses of this chapter. We're going to have a bit of a look at this chapter this morning. But we've got Isaac and his family and they arrive in this town and God speaks to them and says, stay here. In the Bible, I don't know if you've studied much, but in the Bible, Egypt often represents things of this world and in particular, the wealth and the treasures of this world. So there's a famine in the land. There's not much around. The logical thing to do here is go to the wealth of the city to go to the wealth of Egypt. It's like the, it's the powerhouse of the day. When there's not much around, you would see in Bible times, often that was the pattern, that they would retreat to Egypt where the wealth and the goodness was. But in this story, God appears to Isaac and says, stop, you've got plans of going to Egypt, but I don't want you to go. I want you to stay here in this region. And this region that he's talking about was a, a more of a d- desert type of place. It was barren land. There was There was crops and there was cattle and there were things like that and sheep, but it wasn't Egypt, the powerhouse city. And he he clearly says to him, stop, don't go. So there's a logical thing that looks right and there's God speaking. And this dimension that goes on, this tension is something that all of us face all of the time. Are we going to do the thing that God says to us or are we going to do the logical thing that we think is going to help build our own kingdom? Are we going to do the things that think they are right in our head And I'm not saying God doesn't want you to use your head. God gave you a brain for a reason. But there's times in our life, there's critical times 
where we face decisions. What kingdom are we going to build? Are we going to build our kingdom according to our plans and our logic? Or are we going to trust God and do what he tells us to do, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense? It's a situation we all face. One of my favorite scriptures is Matthew 6:33. It says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You're going to seek to build your kingdom or you're going to seek to build God's kingdom. And you know what? I've been a pastor for a while now and I've preached this plenty of times. But two years ago, God asked me to live it. And who knows that sucks. <laughs> it's easy to preach. It's a lot harder to live. It was three years ago. I was sitting in our church one day and we had a guest preacher and I don't remember what he was talking about, but I felt God speak to me. And he started speaking to me about our house that we were living in at the time. And he said, Lottie... I want you to sell your house. And Lozzie had already felt that it was time to, to move because we were outgrowing the house, that we, our first home. He said, I want you to sell the house. Yes, God, I'm listening. Yes. Then I want you to give all the money away. No, God, I'm not listening. That's the person next to me that you're meant to be talking to. But I feel like God say this, sell your house, clear your debt, and give the money away. Not something you ought to hear in church, is it? There wasn't many amens going on within here. It's like, get behind me, Satan. So I got that in God, clear as anything. And I had to go home to the wife. So guess what God told me in church today? And I shared it with Loz. And because God had been preparing her spirit, we had an agreement and we had a peace. Then we sought some wise counsel to make sure that we weren't loonies. And we put our house on the market. It sold seven weeks later. We cleared our debt. That was really good. The next bit was the painful bit. And I said, God, what are we going to give it to? And we were in the middle of our building program. We're still going with our building program. And he just clearly said, sold into the building program. So we sold in just under 100 grand to our building program. Now, I'm not saying that for applause or anything because it hurts. <laughs> it still hurts to tell this story. But I did a business degree. I'm a smart person, kind of. And nowhere in my studies does it teach you about giving away everything that you have. Nowhere. But God spoke and said, sow it in. You know, a year later, nearly to the date, Someone walked into my office and gave me two checks. A hundred grand for our building program and twenty grand for Lozzie and I. Now I know twenty grand is nowhere near what we gave away, but it was just God's way of saying, Hey, I'm with you in this. I am with you in this. And we're we're at this stage of our step. We're here. We haven't landed. We're living in a rented house. We don't have a house of our own. We're looking at the moment of buying something, but we're still we're out there. We're doing something very not logical at all, illogical. doesn't make sense. But God spoke. And you know what? When God speaks, he looks after you. Our youngest boy, Sonny, is three years old. And he's had some health challenges in his young life. And one of the things he struggled with was muscle tone. He's been, he said that he's got low muscle tone, so he needed to strengthen his muscles. And he was going to physio all the time. And in the space we moved into this new house... The physio said to my wife, what's changed about him? He's gotten stronger. He's getting better. What's, what's happened? Have you got steps? The house we moved out of, 
was flat. We now live in a split-level home with three levels. And so he was 12 months old at the time, and he was going up and down steps all day long, all day long. And so it was like God's little way of saying, you know what? I've got you, and I've got your family. This step doesn't make sense in the natural, but in my kingdom and in my purposes, I am going to look after you. And I will bless you, and I will take care of your inheritance. You don't need to worry about that. You just need to trust me and obey me. And this is what happens here with Isaac in this story. In the natural, it makes sense to go to Egypt, to go where you're going to be looked after, where things are going to be comfortable. But no, God says, stay here in this place. So he stays. He stays and he does as God tells him to do. We're not going to read the next little passage because I want to skip down to a bit later. But if you read it for yourself, you'll discover that Isaac is blessed with a beautiful wife, a stunner. So good looking, in fact, that he tells lies to the people around that it's only his sister because he's afraid that they might kill him to take his wife. That's how paranoid he is of what's going on. And I I find it weird that he's just taken this huge faith step of obeying God and trusting him and having faith. But then the very next thing, he's in fear and he's making up stories to cover himself. The Bible doesn't hold back anything, does it? It shows the strengths of a man and it shows the weaknesses. But anyway, it gets him into trouble. He gets dragged before the king, like getting dragged before the school principal. And he gets told, what are you doing? Anyway, they sort it all out. It gets sorted. Verse 11, the foreign king says this to him. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. And I kind of think it's like God's using a foreign king to tell Isaac that, hey, I'm going to look after you in this place. He uses a foreign king who's not a Christian man by what I can tell to say, hey, I'm going to look after you. You've stayed here in the land and I'm going to back up what I said. Let's read what happens next. Verses 12 to 16. Verse 12, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more again than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man and his wealth continued continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of the wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. Go somewhere else because you've become too powerful. See, Isaac begins to taste and see the promises of God coming true. In the first year, that's unheard of. How much? A hundred times more than what he planted in the very first year. In a time of famine, he is prospering. In a time when others have need, he's got an abundance. He's beginning to see the fruit and the reward of obedience and doing what God has told him to do. Because when others are struggling, he is being blessed. And Psalm 37 says this, Day by day the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. That's something I believe we need to declare over our lives. And I think it's something over children of God, that even in famine... They will have more than enough. When they're in obedience to God's will, even in the darkest place, they will have light. Even in the driest place, they will have water. Even in famine, they will have more than enough as they follow God and trust Him. That's a scripture you can declare over your life today as you trust God and pursue the plans He has for you. But guess what? As you can imagine, not everyone's happy about this. 
when the man of God's being blessed because he's following him and everyone else is without, they're like, hey, we're not going to put up with this. And they come and they start to sabotage his wells. They fill it in with dirt. They get, it, they get jealous. They get so jealous. Eventually, the king, the very same king that promised to protect him and say, no one touch this man, has to kick him out. He evicts him from his kingdom, basically, and says, get out of here. You're too fruitful for us. You, you, you're causing troubles. You have to go. So he goes. And verse 17, we read what happens. Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley. So there's a valley region surrounding the city, and that's where he goes. He set up their tents and settled down. And he reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. So he moves on. He sets up home in the valley, and he, he reopens. He redigs the wells of his father. He restores the names that his father had given them. I read this this week. Once he left the city, Isaac could not use the city's wells to water his herds and flocks. The wells that Abraham had dug when Isaac was a child had been filled in at some time by the Philistines. The Philistines in that area were not prosperous enough to need those wells. Their cattle were not so numerous. But Isaac had great need of his father's wells. He went to find them and redig them. He knew he would find water there. Why? Because his dad had found water there. And I love that in the Bible, if you study it, water is often a, a symbol or a sign of the Holy Spirit's work, of the, the freshness that comes from God. Water is often a type, not only just physically, but spiritually of a, a refreshing and a nourishment that comes as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And there's something great about this passage where he goes out, not because he chose to, but because he was kicked out. But out there, he begins to redig the wells. To me, it speaks to me about the heritage that we have. It speaks to me about the heritage that as a, as a man of God right now, I thank God every day that my mom and my dad made a decision to follow Jesus, that they laid a foundation for me, that Lozzie's mom and dad made decisions to follow God. You know, me and Lozzie and our three kids, we are benefiting from the wells that they dug back then. From the decisions that they made back then, we are standing and living and building on what they did by laying that foundation for us. It's a tremendous heritage. And if you don't have a Christian heritage, maybe you're the first in your family that made a decision to follow Jesus, you still have a heritage because Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The Message Bible says it this way, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. It says to me that there are people cheering you on right now. There are men of faith, men of God that we read about in the Bible, and they're in heaven cheering you on. They're, they're, the crowd of witnesses watching you run your race today here in, in Port Stephens, Nelson Bay area, they're cheering you on. Sitting in a building, building like this, seeing photos like we saw before. To me, it speaks to me of the faithfulness and goodness of God, but also what Greg said. It speaks to me about those who have gone before you, those who have paid a price, those who dug, those who dug a well in this place. And I know there was water once under here. You filled in the well, Greg. You won't go there with that little... Plenty more where that came from. But people go before. And I can tell you this. 
Anytime you see something significant, a building, a move of God, anything, I guarantee you that someone, and actually quite a few people, have paid a price, have put a sacrifice, have put blood, sweat, and tears into that place to see it happen. And when we sit here today and we gather under Jesus' name to worship him, we are benefiting from the wells that were dug before us. All of us, no matter who we are, have got a heritage, people that have gone before us, that have pioneered, and there's stuff that we can benefit from because of what they've done. Fathers in the faith, people that might have led you as a young person, they've gone before you. Maybe it's your mum and dad. Maybe it's a school teacher, a youth pastor. People that have paved the way for you and, and made a thing for you so that you can follow in that. Matthew Henry says this, In our searches after truth, that fountain of living water, it is good to make use of the discoveries of former ages, which have been clouded by the corruptions of later times. Inquire for the old way, the wells which our fathers digged, which the adversaries of truth have stopped up. Ask the elders, and they shall teach thee. Who's the elders here in this church? I'm going to ask you a few questions later. Isaac understands the value of honoring and learning from his heritage. He understands the value of learning from those who have gone before and made it possible for him to be there that day. I love how he restores the names of the wells to the ones that his father gave them. He didn't come in and try and reinvent the wheel. He said, no, this worked for my father. It fed him then or it watered him then and it's going to water us now. And he learnt from them and he stood upon that. Matthew Henry also says this, Though we must use the light of former ages, it does not therefore follow that we must rest in it and make no advances. We must still be building upon their foundation, running to and fro, that knowledge may be increased. When I read my Bible, I can read a passage like Genesis 26. And I can do a heap of research. I can read Spurgeon. I can read some great men of God that have written and preached from these passages. And there's amazing truth and there's amazing revelation that these men of God were able to draw out of the passage of Scripture. And that's a great starting place. But you know what? That was then and there's stuff now. And the great thing about the Word of God is there is more today. So yes, use the revelation of the past. Yes, use the teachings and the truth that's been revealed previously. But use that as a platform to go deeper. Use that as a platform to get your own revelation and your own understanding from the Word of God. Church on a Sunday should be like that. I'm telling you about what I've had revealed to me from Genesis 26. But each and every one of you are empowered to go home, read your Bible, and build on the well that we've started digging here today. I've started to hopefully bring up some truth and revelation to your life, but you are empowered to get your own. You are empowered to go deeper than I could ever take you in a half-hour sermon on a Sunday. Every time you gather on a Sunday, the preacher will open the Word of God and teach you something. And that's like a well being dug. But there's a fresh well and there's a new well that each and every one of us can dig for ourselves. And that's exactly what Isaac does next in verse 19. Isaac's servants also dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But when the shepherds from Gera came and claimed the spring... This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Esek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. 
If you ever meet anyone and their kids' names are Essek and Sitna, you know that lady's got a handful at home. In my household, with three children, I have discovered something. A toy can sit idle in my cupboard, in our cupboards for months on end, gathering dust, forgotten about, just sitting there minding its own business. Then one of them, usually Sonny, will go and discover this toy and begin to play with it. And all of a sudden, Lucy, who is seven and hasn't showed an interest in that toy for four years, Judah, who is five and hasn't been bothered with it for two years, all of a sudden, there is an argument and a dispute over who owns it. And you will hear things like this. It's mine. You weren't playing with it, but it's mine. And the argument escalates from there. And it usually involves snatching and pushing and fighting. And I'm sorry if your kids don't do that, but mine do. There's a dispute over who owns it. And the same similar thing happens here. That water has always been there. That water has always been under the ground waiting to be discovered. And when Isaac's men come along and discover that there's water there, all of a sudden an argument and a dispute breaks out and they start fighting over who owns it. See, when you start prospering and when you start being able to dig for yourself and get things in God, other people that are too lazy to dig for themselves will often come and try and take it from you and often get jealous of it. But that doesn't bother Isaac and it shouldn't bother us. At both times, Isaac walks away from the argument. Both times. He digs a well gets what, and walks away. Verse 22. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. Who's seen the movie The Castle? I dug a hole. Started here. This time, there's no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said... At last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. See, Isaac knows how to discover water for himself. He knows how to find water where others can't. So he doesn't bother fighting with people for what he could easily claim as his. I dug this well, it's mine. Now he walks away. He simply moves on and digs another hole. Smart man. It's like he's happy to bless other people with his water that he's found and he's discovered. He's been blessed and found water, and he doesn't fight for it. He just goes, you know what? I'm going to count that as a blessing. You've come to take it, but I'm going to call it a blessing and give it to you. And I'm going to bless you even though you've been mean to me, even though you've accused me wrong, even though you've done wrong to me, even though you're an enemy of mine, even though you're causing trouble for me and my family, I'm going to see this as a blessing, and I'm going to let the water that I've found bless you and your family, and I'll go find some more. You know, Jesus said these words, Matthew 5, 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And you know the the five-minute word we heard earlier, and Greg referred to Kent Hodge, who's in Nigeria. And if you read any of the material that's coming out from Kent and his people over there, they've got people studying at the college who have witnessed their loved ones massacred in the name of religion. 
And their response is not hate. Their response is not you're the enemy. Their response is love and blessings. So much so that their enemies, they're doing things like teaching them how to use a computer, teaching them English, letting the the wealth of what they've dug up for themselves, let it bless their enemies, even though it hurts so much because it's personal and they've lost loved ones for it. The stuff that's coming out of this funeral of this man who led the Bible college and his three young kids that have been left behind and his wife, it's not anti that movement. It's love. And you know what they've discovered? They've discovered that the enemy is not those people. The enemy is the devil. Jesus loved people, but he hated the devil. And that's what we've got to sometimes remember, that people, yes, they can be used to do the wrong thing and to cause hurt in the world, but the response is love. And it's by responding with love and blessing others that we see breakthrough. You know, the men and women that are in that Bible college, most of them are converts from Islam. And the way they were converted was not by having a Bible preached to them, but because men and women like these ones have loved them and blessed them when they didn't deserve it. When they were in the wrong, they received love and they received grace and mercy. And Isaac understood it. These guys in Nigeria understand it. And I pray that we would understand it. That when you know the source, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you can dig a well at any time, at any place, you've got a connection. You don't care because you just count it as a blessing. You let it go out to others and let it bless them. Let it be a, a blessing to them even when they don't deserve it. it it's, it's challenging. It's a nut, this is another point that's really easy to preach but really hard to live. I hate that. <laughs> Isaac seems so secure. He shows a tremendous trust in God. He knows he is going to be okay because he knows the source. He has a faith and a belief and an understanding that no matter where he goes, he'll be able to dig a well and find water. So he walks away from the dispute and he digs another well. And this time there's no dispute. He names the place Rehoboth, meaning open or broad spaces. And he makes the statement, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. What an amazing statement. God has created enough space for you and I to prosper in this land. Even in famine, even amongst disputes and things going on that are unfair, God has created a space for you to prosper in this land. You know, this well, Rehoboth, is a picture of what is in store in heaven. John 14.2 says this, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? There is more than enough room for us in heaven. And God creates a place for us in heaven for you, your space, to prosper. Matthew Henry says this, This well they called Rehoboth enlargements, room enough. In the former two wells we may see what the earth is. Straightness and strife, men cannot thrive for the throng of their neighbours. This well shows us what heaven is. It is enlargement and peace. Room enough there, for there are many mansions. There is a place in heaven for those who believe and follow Jesus. Jesus came to give us the gift of eternal life so that we could spend eternity in heaven with God. And there is more than enough room for each of us. God's heart is that none would perish, that all would join him in that place. And you know what it's like when you hear that people are coming over? We've got a a big family. I'm the oldest of five. And often it'll be like this. 
Oh, we're coming to visit. Oh, no, we're coming to visit that same weekend. And the house just seems to expand with people. And we're like, where are we going to fit them all? But God never has that, that problem. In heaven, he's going, oh, no, another person became a Christian. Where am I going to fit them? No, there's more than enough room in his house. He just keeps making room, and there's a space for you. There is a space for every human on the earth. For those that choose to follow Jesus, that step into the life, there is a space for them in heaven. And at the end of this service, I'll give you an opportunity to get your space in heaven, to make a decision where you can claim your room right now and say, yet when I die, that's where I'm going, because God gives that to each and every one of us. But what about here on earth? What about right now in this life? Just like God did for Isaac, I believe God has created a space for you to prosper, a space for you to thrive. I love the word that's over your church for 2014 because that's the truth. There is a space for each of you to thrive. I believe this, that as we obey God, as we resist the temptation to go to Egypt in our world, to go to the things that look logical and they're going to make sense to us, as we trust in his promises and do as he says, as we honor our heritage and learn from our past, as we keep pioneering again, as we love like Jesus showed us how to love, even when others come and take from us, we just love and bless them. As we learn most importantly to keep digging wells, to keep finding fresh water, fresh inspiration, fresh provision, fresh life, we too can find our open space. Each of us can find a space where it just fits. You know, those other wells, there was strife. There was conflict, and that might be what you feel your life is like. You've gone from one conflict to another. But I believe there's this place for you where you can find that peace, that open space, where you can dwell, draw from the water that God has given you, and you can let it not only bless you, but bless your family and bless the inheritance to come. You know what? It's true for this building. There's been wells dug in the past here. Sacrifices made things that were done to make this possible. And that's great. We're benefiting from it today, aren't we? We're sitting in it, we're tasting it, we're benefiting from what's been done. But guess what? There's a new well to be dug today. And for you in your offering next week, that symbolizes to me a new, a new well. The next phase, the next season that needs to be dug, where you go to God, you go, God, help. we need your provision for now. You provided then, and we're in it, and we thank you for it. And we give, give you all the praise and the glory. We acknowledge the sacrifice of those gone before us. But here, now, and today is a new season, and we need new provision. And guess what? There's going to be a well to dig in the future. It's not finishing after this one. If you're part of a church that's going forward and growing and advancing the kingdom of God, there's wells to dig today, and there's going to be wells to dig tomorrow. So you better get a shovel and learn how to dig. If you're going to be part of what God's doing in this place, you've got to be a well digger. You've got to learn how to dig a hole. Philippians 4.19 says this, This same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. I'm going to finish up in a minute, but just interesting knowing Isaac's story. How long have we got, Greg? Not long. Five minutes. The end of this chapter, it doesn't say why, but the next few verses, Isaac moves on. And he moves on to a place called Bathsheba. And guess what he does there? 
sets up a home and digs a well. He's a well digger. That's what he does. And because he does that, he has a security in God that can't be taken from him, that can't be robbed, can't be stolen. It doesn't matter what famine he's in. It doesn't matter what, where he's unfairly kicked out of a spot that he could stay. It doesn't matter when people take from him what should be his. He has a, a source. He has a connection. And I believe it's something that we all need. I'm going to finish by looking at a, a story a bit later in the Bible where Jesus too was at a well. And it just so happens, not the same well. That would be really cool if I could line that up. Not that smart. But it's even better, I think, because the well that Jesus is at in John 4 is a well that Jacob dug. And Jacob is Isaac's son. So not only is he, go, wherever he goes, he digs wells and honours his heritage from before the wells that were dug before, but he teaches his boys, if you're going to survive in this world, if you're going to make it, you need to learn how to dig a well for yourself. You need to learn, and he passes down what was passed down from his father to his boys. And he says, if you want to make it in this world, you need to learn how to dig wells. And so the well that we're talking about in the end of this story is a well that was dug by Jacob, Isaac's son. Again, heritage coming out. Jesus is having a conversation at this well, and he's talking to a lady from Samaria. And Jews at the time, they don't talk to Samaritans, and in, in particular, Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women. And we read in verse 9 that this woman is surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, this lady's talking about water that we can all go and drink after this service. But Jesus is talking about something different. He's talking about water as a symbol of eternal life. As that when Jesus enters your heart, you receive a fresh bubbling spring within you that gives you life and life to the full that gives you life beyond what you could ever do or imagine or plan on your own and he's offering her the gift of eternal life and if you read the rest of the story it goes on that that lady that day makes a decision to not only yes give jesus the cup of water he's asking for but to accept jesus into her life and to follow him it says that she goes into the village and she brings all of her friends and family out to meet him because she discovered that he has something that she can't get for herself. She's been getting water from this well probably all of her life. But on this day, she receives something from God that is available to all of us. And it's the gift of eternal life. That when, when we die and we leave this earth, we can go and spend an eternity with him in heaven. And there's a place for you. He's created a place for you. But it comes down to you and I making a decision on this earth that will benefit 
all of eternity. We make a decision in our heart to follow Jesus, to accept him into our life, to begin to taste the life that he has for all of us. And then when we pass from this earth, we spend eternity with him. The lady that day made that decision, accepted it. Where are you at? I don't know many of you, but I know that God's heart is that all of us would accept this gift, that all of us would be able to taste this water that Jesus is talking about, and that all of us with bags of room in heaven say, yeah, that's where I'm going to go, where he prepares a place for you. So as we finish, I just want us to close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not in relationship with him, you don't know what this water is that I'm talking about, then I want to give you an opportunity just to accept Jesus into your life. Make a decision to follow him. Make a decision to taste and see the goodness of our God. It's a step of faith. It's a step of trust. But it's the most important step you'll ever make in your life by choosing to follow Jesus. If you're here and you'd like to do that, I'd like you to simply just raise your hand so I can see it. Just raise it up high. Put it up in the air because I would like to just pray with you at the end of the service. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to be able to talk to you and pray with you. I'll give you that moment in this space and then I'm going to move on. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, maybe you once knew him but you know right now you're far from him, you too can make a decision to taste that living water that he talked about. While we're in this place of prayer, want to encourage you if you're here and you haven't made that decision yet it's never too late while you're breathing there's hope and there's people in this church that can talk to you and help you and encourage you and answer your questions and tell of their story and their experience of what jesus has done for them i encourage you to do that if you don't know god but for all of us here this morning i just want to pray for some people i'm not going to bring you out the front but I feel that this story has spoken to you. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel that you can relate to Isaac. Maybe you're in a famine and you're crying out for God to say, God, I need, I need you. Maybe you've had some things happen to you that are unfair. You've been evicted in one sense of the word. Or someone's taken something from you that's yours and you're hurt from it and it's causing you grief. I believe that God's promise for you today is that you can find your space, enough space for you to prosper in this land. Find your peace. Find the living water and the freshness that comes from God. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not going to bring you out the front. But you're just saying, that, yeah, I need some fresh water. It's been a bit dry. Maybe circumstances that for your own doing or external circumstances. But if you're honest with yourself right now, you just say it's a bit dry. I need a fresh well. Maybe you need to redig some of your heritage. Maybe you need to go to a fresh source this morning. But as there's hands raised across this building, I'm going to pray. And if you want me to be included in this prayer, I'm going to pray it now for all of you that have raised your hand. 
Let's pray together. God, we thank you that in you, in your kingdom, there is freshness, there is life, there is springs of living water. And God, we pray that this morning that those people with their hands raised and all of us would be able to taste this freshness, Lord God, this newness that comes from you. Lord God, where there's been hurt before of things that have happened that shouldn't have happened, we pray right now for a healing and a restoring and a restoration over those lives. We pray, Lord God, that as they taste the new, fresh thing that you have for their life, those things will be restored and healed, Lord God. We pray for this church, Lord God, that it be a church that knows how to dig water, that knows how to find fresh new life. I pray that they keep on digging, they keep on going forward. And you know what, church? The more you dig, the more you keep going at it, the more people can come and taste the water that you've dug. There is a, a whole region of people that need the water that this church has, the life, the source that comes from Jesus Christ. That's why there's wells to be dug today, and that's why there'll be wells to dig tomorrow and the years to come, because more people need to taste the goodness of what our God has, what he has available for you and I as we worship him and follow him. God, I pray for Greg and Robin that you would help them, Lord God, to continue to lead this church, to be great at digging wells, but also, Lord God, just like Isaac had men that dig wells for him, that you provide many men and women around them, Lord God, that will help them in the digging of wells, in finding water and freshness for this community in this region. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that your water and your freshness is available to all of us today. We give you all the praise and all the glory in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for the next week's message.